Um, yeah, thanks Lillian and Elsa and Betty for leading us in worship through songs, scripture and prayer. I'm just noticing how the room really empties out when the kids are. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Christmas is almost upon us. Uh, we see everywhere there's preparation for Christmas and of course not to forget uh, what Dinah was saying, there's going to be a bake sale later downstairs, I think. Um, and that's going to be uh, towards uh, charity. So. Uh, it'd be great if all of us can participate in that. Also, um, there's going to be Christmas carol service at CEC. There's going to be a combined service on Christmas Day, which is on a Monday this year. And this is going to be at 1.30. And uh, it's going to be a carol service, a bit different from the regular kind of service that we have. Um, and it's going to be followed by potluck meal. So you're welcome to bring along food to share and... Uh, and apparently they are also needing helpers, so if that's something you would like to be a part of, uh, do keep that in mind. So yeah, everywhere we see we're pre uh, preparing for Christmas and there's um, shops and there's merchandise everywhere. I'm always struck to see how quickly images come out of Christmas. Um, uh, just when last week, um, just doing a bit of digging around, um, apparently uh, big chains like Coca-Cola, uh, particularly John Lewis. Apparently, they, um, it's every year they have a new ad, right? I mean, you know, you, you, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And uh, this year, they spent close to six million pounds in in making the ad and like kind of publicizing the ad. Uh, so every year they spend that um, that amount, amount of money preparing for Christmas, looking forward for Christmas. Uh, of course, Edinburgh. Uh, Christmas market is up and running. Um, I think this is from last year's or previous year. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know, is it already ready like this? I'm not sure, but uh, it, it is ready, yeah. So it's very exciting times. Uh, from 17 November onward, it's been on. And so the whole city, the whole world seems to be looking forward, preparing for Christmas. I don't know if you, so look at this, this ad. This ad comes from the Philippines. Can you try and guess? When this was publicized, uh, which month? This was this was an ad from September one, <laughs> and they have this thing. I don't know if you know about the Burr months. Apparently, it's big in the Philippines. So it, it's all the months that has Burr as an ending, like September, October, November, December. Uh, so September is like the beginning of the Burr month, and that's when you actually start like playing Christmas songs and like Christmas motifs in the shops. I guess it's one third of the year away. <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot, but uh, it's it's a build up towards the Christmas, and there's a lot of hype, a lot of music, and uh, it's it's a bit it's a bit much, I think, for for us. But again, it, Philippines it comes uh, the culture comes from a rich culture of fiesta and festivities, and so I guess it makes sense. Uh, the build up towards Christmas is quite intense. Um, of course, in my own hometown in, in Manipur, in India, festivities are a big deal. Festival, festivals are almost seen as like the culmination of the year where all of the work that you've done, you're, you're ready to celebrate. And so not quite to this level, but there's a lot of expectation, a lot of anticipation for Christmas Day. Um, there's something called pre-Christmas or advanced Christmas, not advent, but advanced Christmas, which is essentially about a month before Christmas Day, uh, there will be gatherings after gatherings and um, 
say in a, in a city like Edinburgh where a lot of students come to study uh, for Christmas, they're going to be going home. So before they all scatter, they have like advanced Christmas celebrations with their friends and loved ones. And this is uh, a massive event in, in, uh, in, among the communities. They have uh, event after events. It's a whole day affair. Not, it's not just a service. It's like singing and young people getting, getting together. Days ahead of that, decoration, decorations, cooking, games, um, choir practice, all of that stuff, right? So uh, even I know from my own context as well, there's a lot of preparation build up towards Christmas. Uh, of course, here, like, um, it's, I think, I'd say it's a bit more low-key. I was talking to a friend from Indonesia a few weeks back, and he was like, Christmas is a big deal, but it's, uh, he's quite, he was quite sad that it's not, uh, there's not much going on. And I think that that's fair because that's, um, Christmas, the way it's celebrated here is quite low-key, but in that, in that sense, it's meaningful. Uh, perhaps it's about um, build-up towards Christmas would be setting up Christmas tree or putting on the lights or uh, we start we did this time since we've got rings one two-year-old toddler we did this uh, advent calendar with chocolate inside and uh, rings one loves it he wants to open the whole thing uh, uh, but there's that element of anticipation um, so um, and this is a picture that I found from a friend um, on Facebook uh, it's not very clear here but there are markings there right till number 25 so you light a candle and let it burn day one day two and what's interesting about this one i think is the element of waiting like you cannot just run through the candle you have to wait for it to burn and have to be very precise because you don't want it to overburn down to the next day but yeah so, so uh, multiple kinds of um, ways in which uh, people remember and prepare ahead for christmas um, so uh, so in in terms of preparing for Christmas, in terms of preparing for Christ, uh, there, are, there are all these multiple ways that uh, we, can, we can think about. Uh, we say that today is the first Sunday of Advent. Um, and Advent, as uh, in history, uh, in tradition, um, it's, it's a very interesting um, time uh, because um, it's usually the four, four Sundays before Christmas. And this year it falls, uh, today is the first of the four Sundays before Christmas. Sometimes it goes into November as well. But Advent season is usually considered as the, the four Sundays before Christmas. And there's usually hope, peace, joy, and love, which are the four themes of Advent Sundays. And there's usually candle lighting. I think they're doing that in the main church in CC. Um, every, every week they light one of the candles and um, each of them symbolizing either hope, peace, joy, and love. So it's, it's a practice of kind of weekly anticipating and preparing, looking forward to, to Christ. In a way, it creates kind of an atmosphere of waiting, atmosphere of uh, anticipating for the birth of Christ. And so uh, to, the way it's understood this uh, today is about the birth of Christ. Uh, but I must also remind us that, uh, all of us, that historically, Advent has been more than just Christmas, more than about Christmas. Uh, it's been uh, about um, the second coming of Jesus. Uh, it's not just the first kind of birth of Jesus. It's also the second appearance of Jesus. Um, so we are told that in history, in the past, um, the focus would be, the word Advent comes from Adventus. And that has the same word as 
uh, Greek, the Greek word parousia, which usually is meant to, uh, it, usually it refers to the second coming of Jesus, but it literally means the appearance of Jesus, uh, the coming of Jesus. So Advent season is, historically speaking, it's not just about Jesus being born as a baby, uh, it's also about looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, when Jesus will come back. Um, so it has tended to focus on both elements, actually. And because of that, the first two weeks, in, historically speaking, the first two weeks of Advent is focused on um, uh, confessing sins, um, spending time uh, focusing on our hearts, uh, uh, purifying ourselves, and spending time hoping for, looking forward to the coming of of the Lord Jesus. <coughs> and then the, the other two weeks would focus on the birth, the Jesus Christ in the manger. All that is the historical practice. We, we don't necessarily have to follow that, but I think there's something healthy in the attitude, in, in, in the pattern that has been practiced historically as well. Um, because uh, as we have sung today as well, some of the songs, uh, and as uh, one of the be better ways to prepare for the coming of Christ, not just the birth, but the return of Jesus Christ, is to focus on cleansing ourselves, purifying ourselves, and uh, focusing on repentance. So Advent, is, historically speaking, it's not just a time to kind of enact, reenact what happened in the past, right? Like uh, the manger and all of that scene. Uh, the Bethlehem, the baby Jesus, the manger. It's also a time to actually anticipate Jesus who is going to be coming back, who will return one day. So it's not just looking back, it's also looking forward, if you know what I'm trying to say. Um, so it's along those lines, I think that uh, today we want to uh, focus on a bit uh, as we prepare for Christmas, as we prepare the way for Christmas, uh, I think bringing in that element, make it quite rich actually, if you think of preparation in that perspective. Not only expecting and preparing for Jesus to be born, but also preparing for Jesus to return and to be the King, the Lord, uh, waiting for Christ. Uh, so I think when we say waiting for Christ, waiting for Christmas, in those terms, I think it brings a whole new meaning, a whole new way of preparing ourselves. So with that connection, I would like to suggest um, for today, for the first Advent Sunday, a way of preparing for Christ which is quite strange and quite out of place in, in the context of today's festivities and holiday seasons. And that is the idea of holiness. Holiness and repentance as a way of preparing for Christ. Uh, again, it sounds quite counter to the, the, the mood of the season, which is about indulgences, which is about, um, about happiness and uh, and festivities, and that is not to say that those two are contradictory to one another, but um, I, I want to invite you to think about this for a moment. So the text has been read out for us, so I'm not going to be going through reading uh, this text again. But I think this text is helpful for us to think about this. Uh, how can we prepare for Jesus uh, through the paradigm of holiness and repentance? Uh, just a few notes though. This story is technically not about Christmas. Uh, it, by, the, by this story, Jesus is already, I think, like about 30s or late 20s. So he's already grown up. He's a, he's a full-grown man. Um, 
And it's, it's not about Christmas. It comes after Christmas, the birth of Christ. So it's strictly, it's not about Christmas, but it, it helps us to think about, um, the, the, it helps us to capture the tone of the people of Judea, what they were expecting, uh, what they were longing and thirsting, right? Uh, the, the, the tone of desperation, the tone of, uh, of longing and thirsting for, for something, for, for Christ to be revealed. Also, it, it communicates the, the sense, the tone of darkness, the tone of, uh, of the community having no shepherd, like no guidance. Uh, it was on, in such a time that Jesus appears, John the Baptist appears here, and he tells these words that we're going to be focusing on. <coughs> so, let's just quickly reflect on... Um, on the, 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 what I said about the darkness, the, the sense of the, the mood of darkness. As Betty pointed out, one of the theme of Christmas is light has shown in the darkness, right? Uh, what is this darkness? In, in the history of Judea, in the history of Israel, the period after... So we went through the book of Nehemiah a few months back. And I think that's interesting because it connects us quite well to to what Jesus brings and the hope that Jesus brings. When we ended the story of Nehemiah, you might remember that the people of Israel were exiles, right? They were first taken by the Babylonian Empire. Then they were handed over to the Persian Empire. The, the Persian king Cyrus allowed them to rebuild the temple. And for that reason, Nehemiah went back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And even though they rebuilt the temple, there was still a sense of, um, of lack. There's still a sense in which they were not home yet. So in that foreboding sense of being, ho- being exiled, being away from home, being away from their, the comfort of God's presence. That was the, the pervading sense that we get from the book of Nehemiah as well. During the time of Nehemiah, right, r- round about the time of Nehemiah was also the time of the last prophets. The last prophets, if you look at, if you flip from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the last book of the Old Testament is Malachi, right? You, you, you know that. Malachi, and then suddenly we jump into Matthew. Malachi was one of the uh, few prophets that were active during the time of Nehemiah. And the message of Malachi, uh, Isaiah as well was one of the prophets of, uh, during the time. Um, in fact, if you look at this text here, the first section in verse 1, or verse 2, sorry, as it is written in the Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. That comes from Malachi chapter 3. And then the other section, a voice of one calling the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. That comes from Isaiah. So these are prophet Isaiah, prophet Malachi, who were active at that time when the, Jew, the Jewish communities were exiled under Babylon and, and Persia. And during this time, when the people of Israel were so confused, like, what is going on? We thought we are God's people. We thought that God has promised us to be as numerous as the stars. Why are we here exiled in this foreign land? Why are we under the subjugation of kings who don't know God? How is this possible? So it was in this kind of crisis that prophets Isaiah and Malachi and many other prophets as well, they brought their message saying, don't worry, God has not forgotten you. God has not forgotten you. I will send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare the way. 
He'll prepare the way for the Lord. The Lord is coming to you. He will rescue you. Don't worry. God has not forgotten you. And I think it's the, Isaiah 40 is worth reading in, in full because it's so beautiful and it's so vivid. Uh, Isaiah 40 writing uh, during the Babylonian captivity, as we call, when the Jews were under the Babylonian, scattered all across the face of the Babylonian Empire, the Middle East. <coughs> Isaiah 40, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all the people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. These are the words of Isaiah. So there's vivid language that God promises uh, uh, as a good shepherd, that the, like the good shepherd, he's coming for you. You are scattered right now, but I'm coming for you. I'm going to level the mountain. I'm going to raise the valleys. I'm going to make a road and come for you, come and get you, right? Again, Malachi says the same thing in the pre previous, uh, there, uh, in verse two, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. God says, I will come and get you. And then suddenly, silence. After all this message, suddenly God stops speaking. And uh, uh, scholars call this 400 years of silence in which there was no prophets, there was no word, nothing, radio silence. It's almost as though all these promises that God has been sending and suddenly the signal goes off, right? Uh, the, 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 it went quiet. Um, the, the, they were still under the Persians. God was not speaking anymore. It was utter darkness. Just think of it like you are in a dark room. You are following one faint light. It's a bit, uh, um, uh, it's, it's not consistent, but at least there's light. You're following it. And imagine the light completely goes off and you are in utter darkness. Persians are still there. There's no, there's no, there's no more God's word. After that, Alexander the Great and the, the, the Greeks came and took control of them. Still, God is silent. After that, the Romans came and took over. Still, God is silent. 400 years, there was utter silence. There was no sound. There's no signal from God. Life goes on. And suddenly, as though something is happening, suddenly the signal went live again. Suddenly there's a flicker of light. And this flicker of light was not in Jerusalem. It was not in Rome, which was the, the capital of the world at the time. It was in the wilderness. And it was in the form of John the Baptist. After 400 years of silence, there's one prophet who shows up proclaiming God's word, saying that I, I'm, I stand in the presence, uh, in the, in, in, the place of God. John the Baptist comes out in this context when the people were thirsty for, for some light. They were looking for some sense of direction. After 400 years of silence, 400 years of darkness, light shines and it comes in the form of John the Baptist. John the Baptist, uh, it, it, he is depicted in quite uh, vivid images here. In verse 6, we are told that John wore clothing made of camel's hair and he wore a leather, leather belt around his waist. He ate locusts and wild honey. There's something quite memorable about him. Like his, the description is very vivid. He's very charismatic. Like 
people are drawn to him, like a very interesting fellow. Uh, he had divine powers. He was able to uh, speak and convince people. He was very dramatic. And what's more, he, he, did not eat, he did not eat normal food. He ate locusts and, and wild honey. Um, quite the spectacle, this guy is. And he was in the wilderness and people were just drawn to him. Like They were, they were like, uh, finally, we hear God's word speaking again. Uh, of course, this is quite uh, in character. Prophets tended to be eccentric like, like John the Baptist. You can think of Elijah or think of other prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, but also the, the, the piece of information that he ate locusts and wild honey, I think has to do with that, uh, the, the sense that he's, he maintains purity. He does not eat impure, unclean food. Um, uh, he's quite basic, so to say. And also to say that he trusted God to provide for him. He did not trust in, uh, in shops or uh, supermarkets or uh, people cooking for him. He trust, literally trust in nature, in, in God's providence uh, through, uh, through locusts and uh, eating locusts and wild honey. So John the Baptist appears and he's baptizing. His, uh, his, uh, so we, we see again in, in verse 5 that they were confessing their sins and they were being baptized by him in the river Jordan. They were John the Baptist. Baptism, of course, this has a different meaning from the way we practice it today. Today we practice baptism as a symbol or as a, um, as a sign of uh, our participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Here in this context, before the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, immersion, baptism, is a sign of cleansing. You dip yourself in the water, you immerse yourself in the water, you come out cleansed. And so this is the image that, uh, that was being uh, practiced here. Um, so John the Baptist was baptizing those people who came to him by faith. And his message was very clear in verse 7. He says, after me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So John's message is this, that he is only the messenger. He's only the forerunner. Like he's not the main guy. He's not the main actor in this story. He's only the guy pointing to the actual actor who is actual character who is coming in this story the real lord the real uh, god who is coming um, in verse 3 just uh, if you look with me again prepare the way for the lord adonai the lord is a reference to god god is coming and he is just a messenger he's just he's not even fit to untie the sandals as he says in verse 7 um, the one who is coming is holy is powerful is great he is not fit to untie the sandals. And unlike John in verse 8, unlike John who baptized with water, the one who is coming, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. In Matthew, we're told he will baptize with fire and the Holy Spirit. So John's message is that he's only the messenger. He's coming, he's coming only to point to the real God, the Lord who is coming to save his people. He will be here soon. Therefore, and that's, that's where the focus for today's message is. Therefore, repent and turn around. Therefore, get ready because the real deal is coming. The real character is coming. The real Lord is coming. Cleanse yourself. 
It's time to reflect. It's time to immerse yourself in the water. It's time to repent. It's time to detox, if you like. Because the real Lord is coming. Prepare the way for the Lord. The real Lord is coming. So this is, uh, John's message is to call people to, to holiness. Everything about John, if you just look at this imagery here as well, everything about John emphasized holiness and repentance. This is a guy who, is, who wears uh, camel's, camel hair, no fluff, no luxuries, uh, no blings, no excesses, no indulgences, like the basic life, uh, the simple life, no distraction. Literally trust in the Lord for food, trust in the Lord for everything. Clear, single-minded fellow. Like This guy is like... Um, symbolizes holiness in that sense. Repentance, holiness. He, he literally embodied that, that ethos, that calling, that message. Holiness, the call to holiness. Prepare yourself for the Lord by seeking holiness. So I, I want us to reflect on this for ourselves, this advent as well. Holiness. Again, uh, holiness... What a strange notion to be thinking of during Christmas time, uh, when uh, what everything we see around is almost literally the opposite of that, and yet how appropriate, right? Because without that clarity, without that focus, we all know every Christmas it's so easy to to get lost in in what Christmas is about. Uh, Christmas is multi. To be uh, to be clear, I'm not saying that uh, there's there's one thing that Christmas is about. Christmas is about many things. It's about family. It's about uh, rest. It's about, um, um, it's, it's about uh, joy, peace, all of that. But we, we also we know that without that focus, without that uh, clarity, it's so hard uh, to, it's so easy to get lost in what Christmas is all about. So if you think about holiness, if you think about cleansing, being ready to meet Jesus, the readiness to meet Jesus. If you think about the process a bit with me, uh, I think about the people who are coming to be baptized by John the Baptist. And let's take that as a metaphor to think about ourselves. The people have to get out of their homes. They have to go out into the wilderness, away from the comforts and the luxuries. They immerse themselves in the River Jordan. Uh, they in, and this involves removing and uh, stripping away everything that hinders them, everything that distracts them. And I think that's a, a helpful picture for us as well to think about holiness, to think about seeking the cleansing as we think of, uh, expect and look forward to Jesus. Re removing things that hinder us, removing things that distract us. But also I want to point out one last thing before I close. And that comes in verse 8. John says, I baptize you with water, but Jesus, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. We can clean ourselves with water all our life, all, with all our effort, but the real cleaning, the real holiness is only Christ. It's only Christ who can give us the real holiness. Repentance and cleansing, John the Baptist can immerse people hundreds of times but it's not going to be enough because the real cleansing of the holy spirit the real cleansing of the fire comes only from jesus we can only prepare we can only come to christ 
So that means it's not an unrealistic expectation we're putting on ourselves as though we have to be 100% uh, holy to celebrate Christmas properly. It just means that we <coughs> prepare to meet Jesus. We prepare to follow Jesus because it is Jesus who cleanses us uh, properly. It is Jesus who give, makes us holy. <coughs> Sorry. So for this first Sunday of the Advent, I want to invite you to think about holiness um, and to desire holiness um, for the to desire the cleansing and the purifying work of Christ. If you go back to the metaphor that's given here <coughs> in verse 4, every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, the rugged places are plain. Think about our own lives. What are things in our lives that are like the hills and the valleys that that prevent us from, you know, like that, that hinder us, that block our connection with God? Um, what are some things that we need to level, like the mountains or the rough grounds that need to be leveled in our, in our lives so that we can have clearer connection with God, clearer relationship with God? If there's any things in those things, it's, it's a good time for us to think about that and consider cleansing those things that hinder us from a re re relationship or connection with God. <coughs> and also remember that as we think about holiness this Advent, remember that Christ was born to make us holy. Christ is born and He, he brings the fire and the, the baptism of the Spirit. It is Christ who purifies us completely. It's not our efforts. It's not our repentance that he cleanses us. It is Christ. So as we wait, as we think about holiness, as we wait for Christ, what it means is that we are also waiting for holiness. We are also waiting for holiness as we wait for Christ. It is Christ who truly enables holiness in us uh, so that we can be with God. So uh, this, uh, for this first Sunday, um, I invite us, and of course throughout, I invite us to think about holiness as a theme as a uh, motif for for your own meditation on your own minds think about holiness and desire holiness uh, remember that looking forward to Jesus is to look forward to holiness to look forward to the life of cleansing the life of, uh, of forgiveness that we have in Jesus and that is precisely what John the Baptist so powerfully and so dramatically uh, teaches us in this message uh, as he prepares the way for the Lord. Let us pray and let it, we'll continue our response to songs. Let's pray.